Great. Okay, so um, you, you see on your tables that you've got some of these things that kind of this leaflet that just says really what we our heart is that G2 Burn Home is about. And we're gonna, the idea is that with these next little talks, we're going to try and unpack that together. So the first thing to say to you is that we want to be known as a church community that cares for the local area and sees transformation in that local area. So to help us unpack this, this part of the vision, I want us just to look very briefly at the early church. In the book of Acts, um, just after Jesus has died, risen again, and gone back to heaven, you've got this early group of followers, of believers, who start gathering together. Let's just read what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's three things that stand out for me about this passage. Firstly, was the early believers meeting together. They chose to regularly get together. The second thing is that they shared, it was said, a life in common. They shared a life in common. And the third was their outward focus, their concern for others. These three things, through the power of God, led to local transformation. To the early church enjoying the favor, it said, of all the people around. And to countless numbers being added to their community, adding to their family every day. So we're just going to look at each one of them in turn very briefly, and we're going to think, what does this mean for us here as G2 Burnham in this community? So let's start with together, this idea of meeting together. The early church met daily. That was what they chose to do. They met daily. This would have helped to have built the family built the church quickly, enabling people to grow, learning more about Jesus, spurring people on in their faith, encouraging them to work towards love and goodness and kind deeds. And I think that was important. And for us here in G2 Burnham, our gatherings together, midweek, here on a Sunday, the various groups, the hubs, the mentoring, all that happens, it's essential. It's really, really important. And I want to say that we need to value these things. We need to value and commit to this coming together, this meeting together. If it was essential for the early church and it led then to local transformation, the same has to apply to us as well. This meeting together, we need to value it. But it's not just about meeting together for the sake of it, like just a big party or a social function. We're told that their meeting together, the early believers' meeting together, was intentional. It had a purpose for it. They, they shared this life in common. That was the phrase that was used. In other words, they were deeply united. Now, just a little bit of translation for you. The word used for fellowship here is a Greek word called koinonia. Okay? And you can see it behind me. Koinonia translates as communion or joint participation. Sharing in common, being united together for a purpose, serving alongside one another. This word koinonia that described the early believers meeting together, it unpacks a deep bond, a special connection that they had to one another. 
despite the fact that they would have been different races, different families, different backgrounds, different cultures, different opinions, they were deeply connected. And why? They were deeply connected because of Jesus. That's what drew them all together. And because the early church members were all connected because of Jesus, that then led to their participation in the community. It wasn't a clique. G2 Burnham wasn't a, isn't to be a clique. It was for a purpose. It led to them being concerned about others. It led to local impact, serving the needs of those around them, selling their possessions, giving to anybody who had need. This was a key part of who they were. And in fact, for the early church, this is what attracted people. They'd never seen anything like this. This was a key part of why daily people were being added to their numbers, this concern for others. People had never witnessed anything like it. A community that genuinely loved and cared for one another, that put the needs of others before themselves, and as a result, enjoyed favor of all the people. And daily, people were added as the local community was transformed by their meeting together in that place and by the life that they shared in common. So how does this work for us, for G2 Burnhome? So we are here for a purpose. We're at G2 Burnhome for a reason, as Hannah said. We've been planted here. Our meeting here is significant. It's, it's in the name, G2 Burnhome. And where the church gathers and shares koinonia, so that deep connection together as a family, where they gather, there should be local impact or local transformation. So we want our gatherings on a Sunday, throughout the week, our plans to reach out to this local area, we want it to result in local transformation, not just for our benefit, but for those around here. But for us to see this, we need to commit to something. Firstly, we need to commit to meeting, as we're doing, committing to meeting and sharing in this life in common. I want to say, let's be a church that is really, really great at being active at building relationships, relationships across this family here. So we're available from 3.30 here on a Sunday. I'd say, come, come at 3.30, grab your coffee and meet people. Start building and sharing that connection that we have together through Jesus. Let's get here. Let's recognize that that is attractive. I believe that draws people in. I want to encourage you to commit to a hub. We'll talk more about them in future weeks, but the midweek groups that go on. And also, like the early believers, meet in one another's homes. Share one another's lives together. Let me just show you some pictures here. Um, Andy mentioned this earlier. We started this little tradition in our family on a Friday night called Friday Night Sabbath, where we gather with all the kids. We have bread and wine. We think about what we're thankful for from the week. We start thinking about how we can rest well together, and we're inviting people from G2 Burnham in to just share with that with one another. So that involved on the other night playing Twister with the Stonehams, as you can see there, random games, and there's just pictures of different people that have been involved. Um, as a, just a small example of sharing in one another's lives, in that deep connection together. If we share this life in common, it should result in us focusing on the needs of others. Our Christmas series, 
The G2 Bees and Project is another example of how we'll begin to do that. And finally, we have to commit to prayer. It's said that the early believers committed, they devoted themselves in prayer for the local community. So we've got a prayer hub. It's called Immeasurably More. It's every Wednesday at Susie and my house, 7.45 to 8.45. Uh, and it's a permanent fixture. When the hub series that we're currently in comes to an end, Immeasurably More Hub won't stop. It's going to continue every week because we're passionate that we're in this area for a reason. And we want to pray that this area is blessed and is transformed by our being here, by us sharing this life in common. So building God's kingdom in Burnhome, that's the goal. But I think it has to first start with us here in this community, thinking about how we share this life in common, how we build on that deep connection. So you are all G2 Burnhome. I am G2 Burnhome. We together are G2 Burnhome. Let's rejoice in this life in common, this koinonia, this deep connection that we have through Jesus. If we do that, it will lead to local transformation. So obviously, we can't build deep connections in two minutes, but we're going to make a start. And I'd like everyone just to stand up for me now, if that's okay. Just stand up for me now. And I would like you, just this is just a start, I would like you just to go and speak to somebody that maybe you've not chatted to before, or somebody that you don't know. And literally just go and introduce yourself. 30 seconds, just say who you are. Go for it, go. My name's Luke, by the way, just for those of you who don't know me, uh, part of this uh, team as well. Um, one of the other things that we really want to, for G2 Burnham to be known for uh, is to be known for being a church that takes risks, that is creative, that is innovative. Uh, in fact, it's in our DNA. It's part of who we are as a church to do things differently. Um, thankfully, it's also in God's DNA. Uh, right at the start of our Bibles in Genesis 1.1, you see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made them. He is a creator. Uh, later on, uh, towards the middle of the Bible, you'll find in Isaiah 43.19, see, I am doing a new thing, says God. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a new way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is always doing new things. He's bringing life where there isn't yet life. And then towards the end of the Bible, one for the beginning, one for the middle, and one for the end, uh, in Luke uh, 5, 37. Um, interestingly, this is something Jesus says, and interestingly, it's also in Mark 2 and Matthew 9. Uh, worth taking note of things he says more than once. Uh, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. In other words, if we're going to do something differently, if we're going to allow new things in, new people, uh, we're going to have to think of a new way of doing that too. It's in the nature of God to create and to innovate, to do things differently. And he's made us in his own image. That's what the Bible says. God has made people in his own image. So we're like that too. We are creative in our nature. Like I said, it's part of G2's story, right from why we exist. We are an innovation. We didn't used to exist. There didn't used to be a G2. Uh, we were an idea. That's how we began. We were planted out of St. Michael of Belfry. 
uh, and Jim gathered a team together and we planted G2 a while ago. So we were an innovation. We are a creation. And we've always tried to do church differently. And we want that to be really key to how we do things and who we are here at G2 Burnhome. Uh, we exist because someone took a risk. We exist because someone thought, ah, we could do this differently. And we'll have to kind of jump that fence every now and again, because even though we've created a new way of doing church that some people uh, weren't used to, we've, it's really easy as people, isn't it, to get stuck into a, into a rut. We're like, oh, well, we know how we do it, and now we've, we like that now, so we just want to do that forevermore. Um, it's tempting, isn't it, to do that sometimes, but we've got to not do that and keep thinking, how could we do things creatively and, and differently in a way that will help more people to engage with the goodness of God? Um, it's also important because most churches uh, in the UK don't innovate that much. Um, a lot of churches don't try new things. Uh, that sounds like a sweeping statement, but it's pretty easy to back it up. Um, a lot of people, in fact, don't like change. People struggle with change, don't they? Um, a lot of people like the status quo. They like things as they are. And the church in this country is full of people who love things to stay as they are. They will defend them uh, until it's, and they don't have any, any energy left to defend them. They will just keep going. And we're not going to be a church like that here at G2 Burnhome. Um, as a result of this sort of keeping things the same, things do tend to die. And that's, we don't want to do that. So we're going to keep changing. We're, I've got a mate called Woody, Matthew Woodcock. He works with the Diocese of York, which is kind of like the organization that looks after all the Church of England churches in this area. And so uh, he works with them, and he's helping churches think through how they can do things more creatively. And he says it's astonishing how difficult it is to help some churches do things differently. For example, in a church he was chatting to recently, not in York, just in the wider area, um, they were saying, you must help us because we want to reach more people, but we can't think of what to do. And he said, uh, you've got to try doing things differently. But as he went through various ideas of doing new things, they couldn't handle it until he got to the point where he said the, the lowest bar he could find is he said, commit to me one thing. Next Sunday, everybody sit in a different seat because you've all sat in the same seat for about 50 years. So just sit in a different seat and we'll start there. So they went and they did that. And then he got a stream of emails and the phone call from the vicar who said, it's transformed everything. People said, I've seen it from a different light. I could see there was paper that needed fixing on the wall. And there were, I've never noticed that person. There was a pillar in the way. And so we need to do things differently. Um, churches have often uh, historically compromised on the wrong stuff, I think, uh, like the gospel. And they've not compromised over the wrong stuff, uh, like organs and dresses for vicars and clergy doing everything on a Sunday and terrible crockery. And they've held to those things very firmly. And I want to say, come on, let's keep the gospel and get new cups. So um, this is also true in the world in general, isn't it? We do have to innovate. You see it in businesses. Most businesses that have ever existed don't exist anymore. Why? because they didn't innovate and adapt. Most of the political empires that have ever existed in the world don't exist anymore, because they didn't innovate or adapt. Interestingly, and let's not get into a creationist argument on this, but 
Some people would say 99.9% of the creatures that have ever existed don't exist anymore. And that's because they were unable to innovate or adapt to their surroundings. We won't exist as G2 anymore if we don't innovate and adapt or take risks or be creative. And that's why we're going to be doing that here. We risk something because we've got something to gain. We, what we, we don't think what there is out there, what is happening, is good enough. We do think that the good news of Jesus is really good and it's worth sharing. So that means we do have to get out of our comfort zone slightly and tell people about it like you would tell people about any good news. Um, risk ch makers change the world. That is how things shift. Um, heroes in business uh, like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Gates or Branson, well, maybe not, they're not heroes, but they've done quite well. Um, they've taken risks. They have put that down to calculated risks, but big risks that they've taken. Heroes of cultural change, whether that's Wilberforce and abolition or Boo William Booth and the Salvation Army reaching out to a drunken and debauched Britain or Luther King in the civil rights movement, Huge risks were taken by those people because what they perceived they may gain by taking them was better than what was the status quo. Or maybe it's the heroes of, of our faith, whether it's Moses uh, against going against Pharaoh in Egypt, uh, or Elijah and the prophets of Baal, uh, or Paul being in prison. Huge risks that were taken because the gain was perceived to be better than the status quo, or maybe just in, in our church, in the, uh, St. Ignatius was excommunicated, Martin Luther King protested, uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield were forced to preach in the fields because the church wouldn't let them preach in their building. They perceived the risk to be bigger. What they might gain were, was worth it. And so, as G2 now, we're going to continue to innovate, to create, to adapt. Uh, we have a shared vision uh, of how we do church and family uh, in York and in this area, we think it's good. We think it's worth sharing. We're going to take risks. We're not, and, and when we do that, not everything will work, will it? We've taken some risks at G2. I remember once we did a communion service where we roasted a lamb and uh, we did that uh, for communion. And uh, I was running that meeting and people came up to me at, at the end and said, that was the single most powerful experience of my life. I have never experienced such a good, good thing like in, in church. And other people came and said, I found that absolutely revolting. And I thought it was one of the most just awful things you could possibly have done. Um, well, that kind of happens when you take a risk. Uh, not everyone likes it. And I guess we, that's why we need to talk about it and buy into the fact that it sometimes is tricky. So let's be in it together. Uh, what we may gain will outweigh what we lose. Um, so let's go and create. Um, what I'd like you to do is just for one or two minutes, talk to the person next to you. What could we do differently? What would this church look like if we took a bit of a risk? What risk would you like to see G2 Burnhome take in doing things a bit differently to how we've done them before? Go for it. Brilliant. So we also want to be known as a church that is alive in the spirit of God who brings wholeness and healing and miracles through the Holy Spirit. 
So we're going to start by looking at Luke 4. Um, In this scripture, Jesus is in a synagogue in Nazareth, and he opens the scroll, and he reads a prophecy that we see in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then goes on to say, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And later, in John 14, we know that Jesus said, whoever believes in him will do the works he has been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. So these things that Jesus did, proclaim the good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of the sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, are things that we believe we can do today through the Holy Spirit. We want to be known as a church that through the Holy Spirit brings freedom, wholeness, healing, and miracles. And I believe we're already a church where this happens. I believe the Spirit is already doing things, and people will have stories and experiences of where this happened. So in a few minutes, I'm going to ask people to share their experiences. Um, I'm going to come around with a microphone. So I'm just prepping you that for now. So as I talk, you can kind of be thinking, yeah, what's God done in my life that I could share? So we believe the Holy Spirit can do physical healings. He can heal anything from a bad back to terminal illness. We believe the Spirit can and does heal today. All we have to do is pray. So maybe you've got an experience of that. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to set people free. People that are trapped in terrible situations like sex trafficking or refugees. A few weeks ago, I met a lady called Sam, and as a teenager, Sam ran away from home. She got a job in a nightclub. A few days into her job, she discovered that the nightclub was a brothel, and she was now a slave. She was trapped in a room for nine months. Uh, She was separated from everybody. She was starved and then forced to do things that she didn't want to do. She had this amazing testimony of how she'd been rescued from that situation. Um, She had then been sent to America to live with some relatives and sent to a, a new school. And through that whole experience, she met Jesus. And she shared with me how, how Jesus had totally transformed and brought healing to all the trauma that had happened to her. And she's now like in her 30s, and she's a mum, and she spends the time helping women in the same situation. We believe that the Spirit also wants to bring freedom to people who are struggling with addictions, with trauma, with mental health difficulties, or any form of oppression. When I was eight, I was in a car accident, which was really traumatic. And around that time, I saw some images which got stuck in my head. They stayed with me into adulthood and had a really lasting impact on me. And I wasn't living in freedom because of these images and um, certain area of my life um, was difficult for me. And I desperately, desperately wanted God's freedom. So I had some, uh, some therapy sessions on the NHS. And each week as I drove to these sessions, I would pray, God, please be with me. Please bring healing. And the sessions were emotional, as you can imagine, and stressful and uncomfortable. But each week... I felt more of God's presence in this situation. I began to feel like the the Holy Spirit was in the room with me, and I could see his presence and hear his voice. And it got to the point where I actually had to tell the therapist that God was in the room, because every now and then the session would stop, and she'd go, how are you feeling? And what are you thinking? And I'd be like, 
God's just here ministering to me. And after several sessions, I got to the end of this um, session one week, this hour, and I just said, I think I'm done. The images have gone, and I walked out a whole new person, experiencing this uh, huge amount of freedom in my life. And I wanted to share this story with you because sometimes we have to journey through some stuff to find freedom and wholeness. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, it's probably the therapy that brought freedom. But I know that the Holy Spirit was totally part of that experience for me. We believe that the Holy Spirit wants to bring wholeness to everyone, to single people, married people, families, individuals, couples whose marriages are struggling, families whose children are going through tough times individuals who are lonely or anxious. God wants to bring wholeness. A few years ago, I was asked to go with a friend to pray for a student who was struggling at the time with some mental health issues and some self-harming, and they just wanted someone else in the room to be praying and listening to God during um, as they met. So as we prayed, I kind of got this phrase um, in my head, fiercely independent, that I thought God was saying to highlight to me. And I was a bit confused because I didn't really know, like, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I felt like God just wanted us to pray into that. So I asked, does this phrase mean anything to you, fiercely independent? I don't really know what that, what that might mean. And she said, yeah, when she was little, her mum had been into horoscopes, and when she was born, she'd had this, like, horoscope sort of given to her, which was, like, specific for when you're born at that particular time, and, you know, the moon was in the rings of Saturn or whatever. I don't really get horoscopes. Um, but in, in this kind of horoscope she'd been given was this phrase, fiercely independent. And I said, I think we should just pray into that. I don't, you know, I don't know why, but I think God wants you to be set free from that false prophecy that was given to you. So we prayed into that and we prayed that that would be gone and we declared that it was a false prophecy. And there was a definite shift in her freedom after that moment. You could see she was something had changed and she wasn't struggling in the way she was struggling. Now, in all honesty, there was still a journey for her in terms of self-harming. There's still some stuff that needed to be worked out. But again, I wanted to share that story because it, it isn't a story of instant healing. It's a story of a journey. But wholeness and freedom and healing comes in all sorts of different ways. So we want to be a church that is known for these things. If people are struggling with anything, we want them to know this is a safe place to come, to pray, where the Holy Spirit can do things, can minister, and miracles can happen. It's not us that heals, it's the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, the Spirit is on us, and we can do these things. So like I say, I believe we're already a church where this happens. I believe it has already happened for some people here. I believe we're all on a journey towards freedom. So when no one here will be like, oh yeah, I'm totally free of everything. But I'd love to pass over to you now. Have you experienced God's freedom in your life? I'd be really surprised if, if no one says yes to this. No matter how small it is, please, 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 can you share it with everyone? Because this is how we build and encourage faith. You don't have to give personal details. You might just want to say, oh, God healed my marriage, and that would be enough. You don't need to give details of what was happening. But would anybody be willing to share? Just put your hand up. I've been a Christian about nine years. Um, before I became a Christian, I was in a really, really bad place. I was up to my eyeballs, not antidepressants. I was struggling with OCD. Uh, to me, now it's like a door, would you believe? Um, I was self-harming. Most of my body was covered in cuts and scars and all kinds of stuff. I'd 
burn myself and all that kind of weird stuff. And it was um, it was an alpha, oddly enough. The uh, the old assistant, some of you will remember Sam Butterfield, um, was my group leader on alpha, and he turned to me and he basically put it in black and white terms, you need Jesus. And over the next few weeks, everything went away. The OCD stopped um, to a, a massive extent. I no longer felt the need to self-harm. Um, I flushed all my medication because I just felt God say you don't need it. I don't recommend everyone do that, but I've never been in a better place than I was straight after coming to know Jesus. So I genuinely believe I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for knowing Jesus. Thank you, Alan. That's great. Um, I'm going to pass over to Dan now for the, the final talk today. But if you have stories, please do share them. Like, we'll create space every week for, to encourage each other in our faith. So exciting. Thanks, Han. Um, I should just mention that um, Susie would be here and would have been involved in sharing this talk uh, with me as well. But very sadly, she can't be with us today. She's tied up with uh, some family things, so she gives her apologies. But the last thing to say is that we want to be known as a family, a family where everyone belongs and is taking part. Just to go back to the early church again that I spoke at the beginning, the Apostle Paul found a brilliant way of describing this idea of family using the analogy of a body. Let's just read it together in the book of uh, Romans. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I think this passage is a brilliant way of describing how the church is like a family. Just as a body has many different parts, each with different functions, so it is with a family. Different members, different functions, different roles, different ways of doing things, but all connected because they're a part of the same family. So it is with us here as followers of Jesus. And we come back to that word I shared at the beginning, koinonia. We can be a family because we are all deeply connected through Christ. But let's just think about this idea of family for a moment, because I appreciate that everybody in this room will have a different experience of family. Maybe a really great one, maybe not such a good one. And in some way, it will impact on your thoughts around this idea. However, when healthy family relationships are formed based around a much deeper connection the benefits are far-reaching. Here's what the research shows. That healthy family relationships build self-esteem, create deep bonds, nurture positive behaviors, create memories, support healthier lifestyles, and relieve stress. But I don't think these benefits have to just be for isolated family units on their own. We are a family here as a church. And if we dig a little deeper into our shared communion or koinonia, our shared purpose together, in Christ, then we can see these benefits and many, many more. But there's another really important aspect to say about family that we should bring out. You see, healthy families, when I think about healthy families, there is always a space for everyone at the table. There's always a space for everyone at the table. We ran a hub called Table uh, last year with Miriam and then more recently with Rachel 
that was about gathering together. And our message that we tried to cultivate throughout all of this was no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what's going on in your life, there is always a space for you at the table. We want to be a church that is inclusive, where everyone feels welcome because that's where belonging and value is formed. So let me just speak some things over the different groups that we, some of the different groups we have here. I don't like using labels, but I was going to start with children and youth, but they're not in the room right now. So I know we've got students in here. Students, you need to hear, this is your church. There is always a space for you here. You are just as valuable as anybody else because you are a part of the G2 Burnhome family. People who are single, this is your church. There is always a space for you here. You are just as valuable as anybody else because you are a part of the G2 family. Couples, parents, elderly, this is your church. There is always a space for you here. You are just as valuable as anyone else because you are a part of the G2 family. And you might like to join me in what I say to this local area. People of Burnhome in this surrounding area, the isolated, the vulnerable, the young, the elderly, whoever you are, this is your church. There is always a space for you here. You are just as valuable as anybody else, and we long to welcome you into the G2 family. Healthy families, everyone belongs, and there is always a space at the table. The last thing to say about healthy families is that everyone's involved. Sometimes this is out of free choice, other times not. Other times just because something needs to be done. It's the same for the G2 family here. I love that G2 has a church, has so many people involved. And the Apostle Paul had exactly the same idea in the Romans that I shared earlier. He goes on to say, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, do it generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. We want to release people here to use their gifts, to serve, to be involved in Burnhome. It's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for all of us as the G2 family. And it is a further outworking of that word koinonia, our connection together with Christ that should leave, lead to us being involved. So how are you involved? How could you be involved? How could you be more involved? We want to be known as a family where everyone belongs and can be involved. Where those who come into our doors are drawn by the deep connection. The deep connection that we have with one another through Christ and where they are desperate to be a part of this community. It is possible. It is already beginning to happen. This is your family. This is my family. This is our family. We need to dig into it. We need to celebrate the deep connection that we have with one another through Christ.